And we're going to start, at least in, a, in an introductory way this morning, uh, looking at perhaps one of the most famous of Jesus' teaching discourses that is known commonly as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as we look at this uh, passage in its entirety, um, we're going to slow down a bit. And uh, I know some of you may be thinking, well, we've been going kind of slow through Matthew as it is. Uh, but we're going to slow down a little bit more, and I think it'll be a worthwhile endeavor. And as we start this morning, I want to take a look at the Beatitudes. We're actually going to look at them one by one um, in the coming weeks. Uh, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of good fruit to be unearthed, a lot of truth to be mined out of these passages, these words of Jesus. But I wanted to look at them as a whole this morning, and I wanted to ask this question kind of as an introductory way to the Beatitudes and also to the whole Sermon on the Mount. And that is this question, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? Now, everyone uh, wants to be blessed. Maybe that's a generalization. Uh, Maybe it's just a truism. But I think for the most part, it's pretty accurate. Uh, Why is that? Why does everyone want to be blessed. I think in a general sense, we equate blessing with positivity. Uh, It is, after all, the opposite of of being cursed, right? So how could we not jump on that bandwagon and say, yes, of course everyone wants to be blessed? I mean, if you ask somebody point blank, uh, do you want to be blessed or do you want to be cursed? Without giving them any other context, I think at least nine out of ten people are going to choose they would prefer to be blessed. Now, we could poll the room right now, uh, take a show of hands to confirm uh, this hypothesis, but I don't think that's really necessary. Uh, I think as a general rule, everyone wants to be blessed. But maybe on another level or a different way to ask this question is not just why does everyone want to be blessed, but On what basis do people want to be blessed? Now, most likely people want to be blessed because they associate blessedness uh, with, again, positive benefits. They associate blessedness with good circumstances, with good results, with good experiences. It's kind of a natural thing in life to speak of being blessed in terms of being blessed in tangible, experiential ways. Uh, We speak of being blessed uh, with an abundance of crops in our gardens. Uh, We speak of being blessed financially when we have more money than we spend. Uh, We speak of being blessed with family, blessed with good health, blessed with good weather. We, We say, bless you, when somebody sneezes, Uh, mostly because it's just the culturally normal thing to do, but that blessing presupposes that there's something negative to be avoided, whether it's just catching a cold, or if you go back a few hundred years and you believe you might catch an evil spirit from that sneeze. Today is July 4th. On days like this, we might think in terms of desiring God to, to bless our nation or our land, and that might mean any number of things, but we, we think about it generally as good circumstances. Now, all of this talk about blessing today, of course, is because we're about to jump into the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Uh, this is one of Jesus' longest teaching discourses, 
And in this sermon, to put it simply, Jesus is describing life in light of the kingdom of God. The kingdom being here is the good news that Jesus was preaching. And the kingdom life described in the Sermon on the Mount is the good life that accompanies the good news. The ethics that are described in the Sermon on the Mount uh, are not natural ethics. They are supernatural. Uh, the, The ways of life described by Jesus in the sermon are not common sense or just plain decency. No, rather they are otherworldly and they are self-evidently countercultural. In other words, no one just happens upon the kind of living that is described by Jesus in his teaching. It cannot come merely by good personality or good upbringing or even or even intense effort. No, the, the kind of life described by Jesus in this teaching must come from outside of us. It must be bestowed on us, granted to us, worked in us by power that is much greater than our own will or our exertion. I say all this because if we're not careful, it's very easy to look at the Sermon on the Mount and see it as a roadmap to the kingdom. That is, we could take an anti-gospel view of the sermon and see Jesus' teachings simply as works that must be accomplished in order to gain entrance into God's kingdom. But Jesus makes it very clear that the ethics of the kingdom go far beyond mere outward formalism or physical adherence to the law. Uh, The kind of person described in this lesson is a transformed person, a person who has been changed or is being changed from the inside out. In this Teaching, Jesus says many times, you have heard it said, you have heard it said uh, concerning one element or another of the law or of the tradition. And then he says, but I tell you. And he proceeds to explain how simply being religiously obedient is not the whole answer. It's not the key to the kingdom. No, the person described in the Sermon on the Mount does not come by these attributes because he is morally robust. He comes by them in an entirely miraculous and grace-filled way. As we jump into the sermon, we read the introductory words in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, And he opened his mouth and taught them. This would have been a a traditional position for a teacher of authority. It was normal in that day for the teacher to sit down and for his learners to stand and listen. And now we can read this sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in a matter of minutes, but almost everybody believes that this is probably a summary or snippets of what would have been a very large teaching discourse And as Jesus went up to the mountain, away from the crowds, he sat down in front of his disciples and he opened his mouth and taught them. He's addressing his disciples, that is, those who are already, at least in some way, committed to following them. He's not explaining to them how they can begin following him. 
he's also not explaining to them everything they must do to enter the kingdom he's been speaking of. He's not explaining to them how they can earn a place as a disciple. No, he's describing to his disciples, his followers, the kingdom life. He's describing to them how the followers of this teaching are much different than those who don't follow. And how blessed a position that is. One of the keys to understanding the whole sermon, really, is in the Beatitudes, the way Jesus starts. The word Beatitudes comes down from the Latin word for blessings. uh, And it refers to these eight lines of teaching that have become so familiar. Eight lines of teaching followed by a, a summary statement in verses 11 and 12. These Beatitudes are not telling us necessarily how to be blessed. Rather, they are saying, you are blessed, even though you may not think so. You are blessed, even though it may not feel like it. I want you to hear that. The Beatitudes are not a roadmap to blessedness. They are a description of the blessed man or the blessed woman. It is an anti-gospel notion to think that if someone could simply follow these directions perfectly, apart from any relationship to or fear of the Lord, then they could somehow unlock blessing in their life. Again, this whole sermon does not describe natural good works or even common sense. This is a description and an encouragement, a confirmation of those who are blessed because they are following the king. The teachings in the Beatitudes and really the whole Sermon on the Mount cannot be separated from the teacher. And I'm not talking about me there. I'm talking about the teacher, the one who spoke these words, Jesus In other words, you cannot have the blessedness or the good life apart from the one who gave us these teachings. You cannot have the blessedness apart from Jesus Christ. In this lesson, Jesus describes both the perfect experience of kingdom life that will come one day, but also he gives us expectations of how our lives as his followers should reflect that image now. If you remember from previous studies, we know that we are both already citizens of God's kingdom and living in the kingdom now, and we also will one day experience it in fullness. These Beatitudes and really the whole Sermon on the Mount are not a roadmap to get to God. If that were the case, listen, if that were the case, no one could ever achieve it. Rather, they're a description. They're an encouragement on our journey as we are called to follow Christ and as we live in light of the kingdom both now and in eternity. So everyone wants to be blessed. But the question today is not how to be blessed. The question is, what does it mean to be blessed? 
Here's kind of the big idea for today's study, and it's that Jesus, who is the ultimate blessed man, shows us and teaches us what it means to be truly blessed. If you have your outline handout, you'll see that the first thing we're going to see is defining blessedness, defining blessedness. Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit in Scripture in this, in this sermon, which is not usually the way that I do things, but I want to see some examples throughout the Scripture of the way that the words for being blessed are used. Um, we're going to look, I said already, at the Beatitudes one by one over the next couple months. And uh, that might sound like a nightmare to some. It might sound like we're going too fast for others. Uh, you can't please everyone but I believe there are timeless truths to be meditated upon as we do this. And before we jump into the Beatitudes, I want to define, what is, this, what is this term, blessedness? In both the Old and New Testament, there are two basic ideas that come into our English translations as blessing or blessed or to bless. One kind of this term speaks of the action of blessing someone or of being blessed, and the other one speaks of the state or experience of being blessed. Now, that maybe was a little bit confusing. Maybe I didn't word that the best. Um, let me put it another way. One word for blessing says, this is how you are blessed, and another word for blessing says, this is how you are because you are blessed. The first, which speaks of the action of being blessed, usually in verb form, uh, usually sometimes it's used of mankind blessing God, sometimes it's used of God blessing man. Uh, most of the basic meanings, it simply means to, to speak a good word or to speak highly. Let's see a couple examples of this. Uh, familiar psalm, Psalm 103 verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. An example from the New Testament of the same kind of word, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now that word, as we've seen in those examples, can be used either of us blessing the Lord, or it can be used of God blessing us. When we speak of us blessing the Lord, we speak of us lifting up his name, exalting him, speaking truth about him, speaking of God in his rightful place. But when it speaks of God blessing us, the word has a little more strength. When God blesses someone in that way, uh, he endows them with a certain measure of favor or a measure of grace, a measure of strength. When we read the benediction from Numbers 6 and we read uh, the words that say, the Lord bless you and keep you, we are calling upon, uh, petitioning God to bestow his favor upon us or a measure of grace or strength. Where Paul uses the word here in Ephesians 1, he speaks of the action of God blessing or bestowing good gifts upon us in the form of spiritual blessings. In other words, we bless God by lifting up his name, speaking truth and praise about him. God blesses us by lifting us up in his grace, giving a measure of strength or provision and giving us his great and precious promises. 
But the kind of blessedness that is spoken of in the Beatitudes by Jesus is the other kind of blessedness in Scripture. I don't want this to become confusing, but I think it's a good distinction to understand. The word that Jesus used for blessed is the word that speaks of our state of blessedness. It, it speaks of who we are and what we are in our blessed state. Now, the most basic way to think about that word for being blessed is to think of the word for happy. Sometimes it's translated that way. But there's a problem because the word happy, at least the way that we use it in English now, uh, usually speaks of an emotional condition. That is, we are happy as opposed to being sad or angry. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn, it doesn't make much sense at all to think about being emotionally happy in those circumstances. Another way that we could think of it is to use the word fortunate. But fortunate has a lot of baggage tied to it in our day as well. When you think of being fortunate, we usually are thinking of good luck. We use these kind of terms so flippantly, even if we don't believe in luck. Uh, but it doesn't make take much sense to, or it doesn't make much sense rather, to think of those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake or those who are hungry as being fortunate. A way of thinking about this that really has helped me in my understanding, and I hope will help you also, is to think of blessing in this way. Think of someone who has just gone through a major milestone in life. Think of someone who has just gotten a promotion at work, or somebody who's just had a, a birthday, or somebody who has uh, graduated from school or college uh, somebody who's just passed the major exam, somebody who's gotten married. What, what do we often say in our words or in a greeting card to somebody who's experienced something like that? We say, congratulations. Now, why do we say that? Well, when we say congratulations, we are realizing, we're recognizing that that person is in a good position. They're in a good season of life. They have had a good experience. They've achieved a good milestone. Or they've, they've made it to a, a good place. Now, this is an excellent way to understand what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the meek. He's not saying that they're merely happy emotionally or fortunate in the sense that they've had a good streak of luck. He's saying that those in these conditions are to be congratulated, for they are in the good way. They are in the good life. Now, think about that as we move on to our second point for today, and that is picturing blessedness, picturing blessedness. I want to read now down through these Beatitudes as they are written for us in Matthew 5. You can follow along uh, in your scripture. I encourage you to if you have a copy or you can look on the screen as well. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God, called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we read those beatitudes, those blessings, it gives us a picture of blessedness. Again, not a road map for how to be blessed. No, it gives us a picture of blessedness. Blessedness in that sense of those whom this is true of are to be congratulated because they are in the good way. They are in the good life. Remember, these are kingdom ethics. Uh, they are marks of the kingdom life. And the kingdom is good news. It is the gospel. So the kingdom citizens are blessed citizens. But when we read this list, it is not immediately or naturally obvious how this is the good life. Especially with a few. Uh, the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, the persecuted, they are to be congratulated. They are blessed. We find that the good life, the blessed life, reaches beyond norms and expectations in both time and scope. It reaches beyond the norm in time because the blessed life now reaches into the fullness of the blessed life in eternity. And it reaches beyond the norm in scope because the blessed life now is often counter-cultural. When culture says, be bold, climb the ladder of success, do what makes you happy, Jesus rather says, you are in the good way if you are meek, if you are a peacemaker, if you are persecuted and reviled for his sake. Think of it this way. The eternal benefits of being a blessed man or woman in this sense far outweigh the temporary experiential difficulties. Another passage that illustrates this so well in the... I believe it may have even been on Jesus' mind as he taught these things, is that passage we read earlier from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. This opening psalm of the entire Psalter uses that same kind of word for blessed that Jesus uses. It's happy. 
but not just emotionally. It's fortunate, but not because of good luck. It's to be congratulated or lauded because there's something significant, something supernaturally different about the blessed life. Now, the blessed man in Psalm 1 is also in the good way. He's not in the way of the sinners. He's not following the counsel of the wicked. He's not sitting in the seat of the scorners. But he is in the right way, not because of his moral fortitude, but notice where his affections are. Notice where his delight is. It tells us that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. Now, we don't normally think of delighting in God's law, except for the fact that the scripture speaks of it in that way hundreds of times. But we don't think about it in that term, probably because naturally it's not even possible. Think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 2, where he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Or another place, Romans 8, 7 and 8. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So clearly, this blessed man of Psalm 1 is not a natural man. He is not merely a fleshly man. Something is utterly different, categorically different even. His whole being, his whole mindset, his whole disposition toward God and the things of God has been changed. And look at his experience. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, growing, thriving, and prospering. But I want you to notice that this isn't merely circumstantial. It says nothing about the broader location. This tree may be on the edge of the desert near the only stream in sight. It says nothing about the weather. It, it could be in a parched, dry, and wind-swept environment, but it is by the streams of water. It is tied directly to the source of blessing. That's why this tree, or to come out of the metaphor, that's why this man, is the blessed man. In the same way, dear ones, our blessedness is not circumstantial. We may live and exist in a world that is withering and fading. We may be in a nation that is anything but righteous. We may be surrounded by people in our lives who don't honor or love the Lord. But listen, we are connected to the source of blessing. We are blessed. We are to be congratulated because even though the circumstances and situations in our lives are less than desirable, we have a higher priority, a, a higher calling. We have a higher view. We are Happy, but not just emotionally. We are fortunate, but not because of good luck. We are to be congratulated 
but not because we've earned this good position, but because we are in the right way, the good way, the blessed way, the way of Christ. Finally, I want to take a few minutes to apply blessedness. How do we apply this? What does it mean to us? Well, the first way to apply this understanding of blessedness is to apply it how Jesus told us to apply it at the end of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5.12. He says at the end of this section, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How do we live when we understand that we are in the blessed way, that we are the blessed men and women? How do we live? How do we respond? How do we react? We rejoice. We have overwhelming gladness. For our blessedness is not temporary or superficial. Rather, it's genuine and it's eternal. It is deep and thriving, fertile and rooted firmly in the source of all blessing. We will look at all these Beatitudes again, one by one in the coming weeks. So we'll leave a lot of the application for those specific weeks. But as a general rule, understand this. If you are in Christ, if you are one of the blessed ones which Jesus speaks of, then you have all the cause in the world, in all the universe, for rejoicing. Your weeping, your mourning, and your persecution are for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But another way that we can apply this is to consider what the Bible says about the blessed man and realize we can never live up to this standard. That's why we can't take the Sermon on the Mount or even just the Beatitudes as a roadmap on how to get to God. That's why Jesus did not give the list of Beatitudes as a checklist or rungs on a ladder, but rather as a description and an encouragement. In other words, the Beatitudes are not about what we must do but they are about who we are, what we are as disciples, as kingdom citizens. This disparity, the fact that we can never achieve these things on our own, reveals that even though we are not perfect in these things, we do reflect them as the Spirit is working them in our lives. And as we reflect them, we reflect the miraculous In the moment that we feel we are failing, the moment we feel that we are not reflecting things well enough, brother and sister, realize that that is true of every disciple, of every kingdom citizen. But there is one man. There is one man of whom these things are completely true. There is one man 
who exhibits all these characteristics perfectly and without fail, there is one man of whom we can say truly he is the blessed man. Jesus Christ, he is the blessed man. He is the true blessed man of Psalm 1. And he is the true blessed man of the Beatitudes. That's why he told us later in the sermon that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees to enter the kingdom. It cannot be normal human righteousness achieved by effort and exertion. It must be a supernatural righteousness achieved by one in the history of existence. And that is Jesus Christ. We read earlier from Ephesians 1, verse number 3, where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Notice the wording. It's critical. God has blessed us in Christ. Think of this. Galatians 3. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Another place, Colossians 3. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we ask the question, how can these things be true of us? How can we be blessed people even though we fail? Uh, how can we be considered blessed even though we don't live up to the standards of the Sermon on the Mount? We can be considered blessed because we are in the blessed one. We are rooted in the root of all blessings. We are hidden in the blessed Savior and in Him, in Him alone, we are blessed. So as Jesus tells us, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for in Christ we are blessed. We are happy but not just emotionally. We are fortunate, but not simply because of good luck. We are those to be congratulated, but not because we have achieved something. But because if we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a blessed man, a blessed woman. As we look at all these Beatitudes in the weeks to come, remember, remember, Remember that these teachings cannot be separated from the teacher. We cannot have the blessed life, the good life, apart from the teacher or the giver of that life. Jesus is the blessed man. We are blessed.